to worship you. Lord, allow us to do that better on a daily basis. Um, please clear our hearts and minds so we are ready and prepared to receive the word today, Lord, so we can hide it in our hearts and do what you need us to do, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. First Corinthians chapter three. But last week I made um, just a kind of a not announcement as much as a time of encouragement. Um, said that I, I've kind of got some some books this year that if you want to read with me, uh, I'd love for you to kind of read with me this year. And uh, I've got a list out here um, in in the foyer of. of uh, each month, of books that I've got, um, I will read more than these books. But uh, e- each month, but um, th- these are twelve books that I would um, that I'm praying that impact me and, and us um, uh, as a church this year. And, and the first one that I, I chose was um, a, a new book uh, called "Something Needs to Change" by David Platt. And, and I'm about halfway, a little over halfway through the book. Um, and it's one of those that I would be done with it if I just sat down and started reading it and allowed myself to, to read through it. But I've, I've purposefully slowed down through it because he's dealing with, with some just some real heart issues. Uh, and the reason he says something's got to change is, is simply that uh, um, we do church life and it's kind of just a component of who we are. The body is, is just kind of a, a, a place where we come uh, on, on Sunday mornings and sometimes Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, depending on church where you're at. But it's just a place. It's not a community. It's not a place where the body comes together. And he's writing this. He writes this from his experience in the Himalayan mountains, dealing with some small churches or dealing with people who, where the Christian population is less than .001. Matter of fact, it's less than 0.05 who had ever heard of the name of Jesus. And there's millions of people in this region. And, and they need Christ. And, and But he comes across a church at 17,000 feet above sea level. There's snow all the time. And they walk two hours every Sunday evening up a hill in the cold to meet for multiple hours together. And he was asked to speak at it, and he said, God, what am I going to say to these people? And when he got done, it was, he was reminded that, that it isn't what he needed to say, but it's what what he needed to hear. And he said, well, here's what they did. They, they sung together. They prayed together. I, I shared a sermon and then they spent the next hour and a half giving thanks and praying over each other. And it was about 50 or 60 believers in a room the size of uh, any of our Sunday school rooms back here. How many would like to see 50 people squeezed into a room like that? Well, Heather, for good reasons, yes. Most of us, though, would not, right? I mean, if there was no seat here, if you walked in, you looked around, there was no seat, you would turn around and do what? Walk out, right? We, we do that. 
That's not what's going on in, in the Himalayas. They were actually setting on top of each other. Adults setting on top of each other. Gary, I'm going to come sit in your lap next time we get in the square room. Is that okay? No, it's, that's what, what it was like every week. And I was reminded this week as I read that and as I thought about our sermon passage, we're looking for all kinds of cures, right? We talked about cancer earlier, just people who got here. We want a cure for cancer, right? But we want a cure for, for just a common cold, right? We want a cure for all kinds of things. But ultimately, those are not the things that are killing the church. Cancer is not killing the church. It may individually kill us, but if we're a believer in Christ, we're not, we've not been eliminated from the church, have we? Where at that point we, we are in Christ's presence in the ultimate place where the church is going to be in heaven, right? With Christ. And so cancer is not killing us. We don't need, I mean, physically, would it be nice to have a cure for it? Yes, it would. But, but we know that something's going to kill us, right? Because of the fall, we're going to, to die unless Christ returns. But what is killing us is what Paul is dealing with here in this section of Scripture. What's killing us is division. It's killing us. It is killing the church in America. And I was reminded of that, that this is not a worldwide issue, because you look at places like this in the Himalayas, there is no division within the church. Everybody who walks in realizes that they are just somebody who Christ saved by grace. They're, they're not somebody special. They're all equal. Even the pastor realizes that he is just like the rest of them. He has been saved by grace, and they were equal in their call of ministry and call into faith. But here in, in, in our culture, we don't see it that way. We see division within us. I found two quotes this week that kind of spoke to my heart. One is by John Wesley, and he says this. One of the principles, principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. Here when he says religion, he's talking about Christianity. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we, we are to serve him in our neighborhood which he receives as if done to himself, standing visibly before us. So what Wesley is saying here is this. We, we physically don't see Christ right now. He's, he, he and his body is not here, but we are to see him in, in our neighbor. That sounds a lot like something that Jesus would say, isn't it? Because Jesus did say that. The, the greatest commandment is to do what? To love the Lord thy God with what? All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second is what? Likewise. It's to love your neighbor what? As yourself. And the reason Jesus is, is talking about that, and remember, he's telling that to a people who are divided. The Sanhedrin council was both Pharisees and Sadducees and others, right? Did the Pharisees and Sadducees agree on a lot of things? No, they didn't. They were divided, specifically on the resurrection. But Jesus is saying here that to love God with everything is the first commandment, and the second is likewise. What, what Jesus is saying there is this. 
if you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, then you will understand how to love your neighbor. That first we love God this way, and in that we love our neighbor. Here's another big thing. I dropped a pretty big, evidently bigger bomb last week than I thought of talking about how we are called to correct ourselves. But here's what Jesus says in that, and I'm going to drop something on top of that. What Jesus is saying there in that commandment is this. If we do not love our neighbors, we are not loving God. Because if we love God, we have the ability to love our neighbor, which is anybody and everybody we come in contact with. Jesus deals with that issue with the Good Samaritan, does he not? That's the issue he's dealing with. That, that they come upon somebody that doesn't look like them, they are to care for them. And here's the crazy thing about that story. That at the end of it, Jesus says, which one of those showed compassion and mercy? And the guy couldn't even say the Samaritan. He simply says the one who showed mercy. He had so much disdain for Samaritans, he couldn't even say the Samaritan had compassion. And Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. Go and love the way he loved, and you will understand the kingdom of heaven. But Paul's dealing the same thing as it comes to the first the book of 1 Corinthians. He's dealing with a church that is divided. Not only was it that quote that the principal uh, rule of religion is to, to serve others because we are serving them as we serve God. The second one I come across this week is by Helen Keller. Alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much. That's so true, right? Alone we can, we can do little but together we can do much. Individually, we, we cannot make an impact as compared to the masses that in here. That the church together makes a larger impact that when it's unified than it does individuals. If we wanted to feed a village of homeless people in South America, individually, could any of us do that? But no, together we could do what? We could do that. Margie and Lloyd are here with us, and they've worked uh, with um, Baptist life in all kinds of roles. Uh, the, one of the major things that uh, help us as Southern Baptists is what? Cooperative program, is it not? Because we as a body of believers, all Southern Baptists, are able to put money together for world missions, and we're able to impact more people because we, we give as a corporate body. We this year had a goal of 5000 with our Lottie Moon offering. We, we went past that which is something to give thanks to God, right? But in all honesty, we give thanks because we, we passed the goal, but could we have done 10000 if we if we were sold out for it? But what I'm saying here is this, is that we do more together than we do alone. And that's what Paul's getting ready to talk about. And so let's look at our, let's look at our sermon passage this morning. Starting in verse number uh, 5, Paul, Paul says this to, to the church. He, he's just talked to them about their, their, their being needing, just continued needing milk and, and needing to understand the gospel and, and needing to, to dive deeper and to, to move past worldly sin. 
to move past that. Remember last week when I was talking about that, when I, when I talked about the word worldly there, the idea is, is in that of sarcos is both inwardly and outwardly, internally and externally, you're acting like a lost person. That's what Paul was telling the church, that inwardly and outwardly, your thoughts and your actions were of the world. And that's why you can't have anything other than milk. And, Jesus, and Paul was saying, you need to get past that. Your, your inward and your outward needs to, to change. And, and, and he continues that. He dives deeper into that now, starting in verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field and God's building. We're just going to walk through these and, and look at the verses. And there's no, again, I don't have like four points or three points, but I want to walk through the passage. I, I've, I've enjoyed doing that more than actually giving you a point or two here. But walking through and, and being able to uh, unpack it and then dive in and apply it. In, in verse 5, what Paul says here is, is this. He begins by asking a question, what are Paul and what are Apollos? That's an interesting language, is it not? We talked about it this week in our study group. We don't normally say what are, do we? We normally say who, right? It's a little strange, right, to, to do that. To say what are Paul and what are Apollos? Why, why use the word what instead of who? The reason is, is because Paul is making a connection to the responsibility that they have within the ministry that God has given them. Paul is a planter. Paul says, I, I'm the one who planted. Apollos is the one who watered. What are we? We're, we're planters and we're, we're waterers. That's what we are. That's, that's the role that God has given us. There are some in this room that are planters. There's others in this room who are waterers. There are others in this room who are tillers. There are others in this room who are weed pickers. There are others in this room who simply watch to make sure that nothing comes and destroys the harvest. Paul is saying, here's this, that we have a role. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm, that's who I am. He, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants. The word servants here is the word dinakinos in the Greek. And the word servants in the Greek, has, there are two words in the Greek a language used for the word servant. It is the word dinakinos and it is the word doulos. The word doulos mean it is, is the classification that you are. You are a servant. It's kind of a title. It's, it's who you are. This word dinakinos or dinakinoi in this, this passage is, is the word that we use for deacon. When you get to Acts chapter 6, it's not when they begin to talk about the deacons, they do not say doulos as in this is their role. They actually use the word dinakinos or dinakinoi, which means here's what you do. You are a waiter of tables. That's what the word means, a lowly servant. 
it's not a role. It's not a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a thing that you, you do. And Paul is saying here is this, I am a, my role is as a, of a servant. I am just simply giving my life over to others to make the others' lives better. Why do we go to a restaurant to eat? Because we don't want to what? Cook at home, right? Because in reality, most of us can have better food at home. Maybe not all of us, but most of us can have better food at home. I know that if Tina's cooking banana pudding, it's better that her banana pudding's better than anywhere else you're going to go. So, so we, we can, but we want to be served, right? Do, do we do anything when we go, if you go to Outback today, do you do anything to, to get your meal other than sit down in a chair, right? And you have to cut it up and eat it. But they cook it, they, they prepare it, they buy it, they do it all for you, don't they? That's what we're called to do. We, we do everything for, for people. That, that's the idea of, of the nakanoi here. That's what Paul's saying is, I'm that. Apollos is that. For whom you believe, in each it has the role the Lord has given. He said they, they believe because of, of our, our willingness to, to serve you. To take our, our, our abilities to you. I came to you. The church of Corinth didn't come to Paul, did they? Paul went to, to them. See, that's the thing is, is we expect people to come to church, right? We want unbelievers to come to church. But there's not anything New Testament about that. The New Testament model is the church going to what? To, to the lost and to serve them. So why? So they will believe. Paul's saying this. I came to you so that you would believe. Let me make a statement here. When I'm serving you or others out of the heart of Christ, realizing that I'm, as I'm serving you, I'm serving Christ, it's a lot easier to not focus on negative stuff that's going on because all I'm doing is serving you for the sake of Christ. And I see you as Christ's child in love. That's what Paul's doing. Think about this. How messed up was the church of Corinth? Messed up, right? They got boys sleeping with their dad's wife. Messed up, right? It's a messed up church. And, and, and Jesus, what, what Paul is saying here is, I've come to serve you. And yeah, I'm going to deal with this issue, but I'm going to deal with it with a kind of love that comes from Christ. Then verse 6, he says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's interesting here that, that as they went and served, Paul had the responsibility as the church planner. He's the one that started the church. He spent 18 months there, and then he said, I'm gone. Apollos was there then to, to grow or, or to water, I mean. And, and what that means is Paul was the pastor. 
I mean, uh, Paul, excuse me, was the pastor. He stayed there and he watered what Paul planted. He he helped continue the the the, the movement, but ultimately, who gave the growth? It was God, right? And so why so why did Paul and Apollos labor so much? Because they knew that God would do what? Give the growth, right? They understood Jesus' point of the soils. Paul understood that. Paul would have probably heard that lesson. He understood what Jesus was talking about. If the fruit or if the soil is good, it produces all kinds of fruit, right? Fifty and a hundred times. But to get to good soil, oftentimes what do we have to do? We gotta plant, we gotta water, and we gotta work it, right? And and as it as it changes. God gives growth. But we want to begin to wonder why our hearts aren't changed. Because we don't till soil. We don't work hard. We leave them hard. We share Jesus and we walk away. One of the stories in, in the book that, uh, that I'm reading, uh, David Platt talks about coming up to, to a man's house in the Himalayas and he walks in and the guy has an infection, and, and one of his eyes has popped out. And, and his face is beginning to plaster. And due to a simple, basically, sinus infection, the antibiotics would fix, but he's going to die. And this all happened within a month. His, his, his infection was about six to eight weeks old. And, 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 and Platt's heart's breaking as he's there because he's thinking, we have all the medication in America that could could take care of you and you're going to be fine and 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 you're probably going to die here and so they talked to him about jesus and the guy says i know no name of jesus is he somebody from a village over and as they're talking to him about it his next thing is but i need medication and they walked away and the guy that david platt was with had been doing ministry there for 20 years something that platt didn't know but there was a medical team just not far down the mountain that was eventually going to get this guy some, guess what, medication. That's serving with the heart of Christ. So that why? So that he would begin to see his heart transformed. And so what Paul is saying is God gives the growth as we serve. As we, we walk in Christ, God transforms others, each of you, us. We have a role, and we, we play it together. No, he, he continues here. He goes, not only that, verse 7, he says this, So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I love this verse, and it's kind of impacted me this week. I get it. I stand before you every week. I stand before students every week. It's my what God calls me to do as one of the pastors of White Oak is to, to teach, just like Pastor Tony and others. Lloyd was in education ministry for years. It was his responsibility to, to educate people, to, to teach people how to, to be in ministry, how to do the work of Christ. It's our responsibility. It's our role. But my role is no different than anybody else's role in ministry here in the church. It's, we're just seen different. And what Paul is saying here is this. None of us, are, it, it matters really. It's what God does. It's who God is that matters. 
And that when we're serving together, when we're walking together, when we're walking in unity and we're using the gifts that God has given us, God grows things and things are work out really, really well. And there's, there's not, divi- uh, uh, not um, divert, or there's unity, not um, whatever word I'm looking for, division, thank you. There's not division within the body, but there, there's unity within the body. Why? Because we're, we're not worried about what this person could do or that person can do. I can't do what Carrie does. I, I just can't. Why? Because that's not what God's given me to do. Carrie can't do what I do. It's why? Because that's not what God has given her to do. Others can't do this. Even in ministry, we have different responsibilities. Full-time ministry. Lloyd was in ministry for, what, 50 years working with the church? But his primary role was not standing week in and week out before the body, was it? Very rarely did he stand before the body and ever preach a sermon. But his role in ministry on pastoral staff was as important as any other role that existed. What's what I love about serving here at White Oak? That yes, Tony's our senior pastor, but he doesn't treat us as underlings. But we work together. I don't want our worship team and our people here seeing that. I want them to realize they're working together. We all have a responsibility. And what Paul is saying here is just be responsible for who you are and realize God's going to do the growth. But here's what we do. So-and-so's not using their gift right. Or I, I want everybody to do what I want to do. What Paul is saying here is no. Just, just do the right thing. Do what you're, you're called to do. Because when that's done, then we won't even worry about who's who. When we get in heaven, there is no Hall of Fame church member. There, there's not. There's not a separate room where there where Billy Graham statue and Jonathan Edwards and all these great preachers um, of yesteryear, they're not going to be there, a room saying, hey, these are the special dudes. They're not. You know what's gonna where it's gonna be? It's gonna be Jesus being glorified and the rest of us praising him as equals. That's what he's called us to do in the church. Let's move on. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Did you catch that? What's it mean to be one? Unified, right? One. When you come into marriage, your responsibility is you become two, you come into what? One, right? That's why we have a lot of times unity candle, unity sand, all this kind of stuff, right? It mixes together. I've used this illustration before. When you bake a cake, you you, you take eggs, you take flour, you take all kinds of things. You take different ingredients, and when you put it together in the battery, it becomes what? One, right? You don't say, you know what? I talk, I don't talk, you know, I don't taste just egg in this. You you taste the, the, the cake. It's one. And that's what Paul is saying here is, is we're, we're one. And each will receive his own reward. Catch this. Each will receive his own reward according to his own what? Labor. Labor is what? Work. Is he talking about salvation? not is he? he's talking about rewards what we get after we're believers 
He's saying your, your labor, your fruit, your reward is based upon what you do. And you wonder why God uses people over you. You say, why, why, why is God using them more than me? Maybe it's because they actually are doing something. Maybe maybe it's maybe you are doing something, and maybe it's just because God got them in that position, in that role for, for a reason. But with greater responsibility comes greater what? Cause to fall, or chances to fall. Years ago, I, I used to, um, every young pastor, I think, desires to pastor a mega church. I just think that's the honest truth. I think every musician probably desires to be um, a Grammy award or whatever award-winning person. Every sports person wants to be a Hall of Fame person or an All-American or All-Conference. This is naturally who we want to be, I think, in in the flesh. But one of the things over the years God has, has worked in my heart is this. One is it doesn't matter how many people are there, John, I've given you responsibility to pastor and to disciple the people I've given you. And secondly, don't worry how many are there. Do who I'm, uh, do what I've given you to do, and do it well. And then worry about the reward I will give you, not the pat on the back you get from being the biggest in the group. And I think that's important for us to understand what Paul's saying here. Just, just do what God's called you to do. For you, we are God's co-workers. God's field and God's building. We're co-workers in this ministry. As I mentioned a while ago that less than half a percent of people in the Himalayas have ever heard of the name of Jesus Christ. Whose responsibility is it to take the name of Jesus to that region? The church. Right? Are we the church? Say, well, I'm not called to long-term missions. Jesus doesn't have a calling to that. He says that you will be what? Witnesses. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and on. It's interesting there that he doesn't use the word or, but he uses the conjunction and, the word kai which means not only are we to be witnesses here in our Jerusalem, but we are to go to other places. That may mean I can't, fi- I can't physically go, but I can go giving money. But don't, don't use money just as an excuse. If you can go, go. What God is saying is this. We are called to go. And if people, and, and David Platt wrestles with this, and I'm going to close on this. David Platt's wrestling with some things in his own heart as he's walked, working through this. He asked the question, Jesus, I trust your word and I trust you, but there are a million people here, millions of people here who have never heard the name of Jesus. I believe hell is real. And I believe that you say that without Coming to faith in Christ, hell is where we're heading. 
God, what have we done to fail you? He didn't blame God. He blamed the church. The reality is this. I believe that one of Satan's greatest tools has been to divide the most wealthy church in the world is the Church of America. No other place on the planet has had the wealth that we've had. And we spend it more on what? Ourselves than we do taking the gospel to the nations. And in spending it on ourselves, we what? Divide. I think that's what was going on here. They were spending it on themselves. They were consumed with themselves and they were divided. And what God says through the people, through the Apostle Paul is this. I planted you. I came to you. I served you. I came to you. Apollos watered you. God grew you. And so now you're to do the same. You are God's government. You are God's people. You are God's co-laborers. You're the ones called to take the word to the world. Go do it. Go do it. This morning, can we, can we be a place of unity? I'm asking the question, are we willing to be unified? The question is not, are we called? That, that's an easy answer. We are called to be unified. The question is, are we willing? And in that, to be willing, we have to do what? We have to do our roles and not worry about what others' roles are. That doesn't mean we don't communicate together. We do communicate together. We talk to each other. We serve each other. We, we love each other. We love others. But the reality is this. When the church gathers together, we're called to worship, to encourage, to equip, pray for each other, love each other, and to, to send each other out to the nations. This is our call. Here's how I want to just to close through the commitment. I want us to, to be committed to do what Paul has called us to do, to love each other and to, to serve for the sake of the gospel. So, so that others will see Christ. Others will see Christ. This morning I, I posted something on social media that I was I found. It was a study done by Church Growth Network. 86% of people who attend church for the first time attend because someone invited them. That's current stats. Only 2% came because of an advertisement on social media or a sign. 2% came because a pastor invited them. No, 6%. Excuse me. Because the pastor invited them. 2% just showed up. I don't remember the other percentage. That's amazing, right? And it's easy, right? To invite somebody. 
serves them, loves them. It's on us. This morning as we come to our time of, of, of commitment, our time of uh, response, maybe this morning you want to come down and you need to come down and pray. And say, God, I have not had a heart of unity. I confess I, I need, I need, I need, I need to, to be unified with this father. I don't want to be a person of division. It doesn't matter whether somebody hurt me or harmed me or not. I have to say. Jesus doesn't call us to repentance based upon somebody else's apology. He calls us to repentance based upon who we are. And so maybe this morning you're saying, you know what? I've not been the, the waterer that I need. Maybe I'm not the planter. Maybe I'm not the person God called me to be, and I need to be that. Come and pray about that. That, you know, there, there, there are things from the missions committee that we can pray for that I want you to come and pray for. But what I want us to do is I want us to be a body that's unified. But we're one. Not because it, it makes it easier on me. Because it does. But because we are the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, I pray that you'd bring people forward, bring people um, to, to, to respond to um, your word, to, to the gospel, uh, respond to the truth. Father, you, you called the church at Corinth here in, um, in chapter 3, you, you called them to be a body of one, to realize that you are the one who does the growth. You're the one who called us into, calls us into ministry, calls us into faith. Um, and so, God, I pray that we would be, we would be that. that, that we would be accountable to each other as we serve each other, that we would love each other, that we care for each other reach out to each other but more than that father we would even go further as we reach others as we serve as we we do what's called um, what you've called us to in scripture to, to wait tables for the sake of the glory it's in Jesus name amen stand and, and respond this morning in this, let me say this. In all honesty, every one of us are called to the role, are called to the work of a deacon. We're called to serve. Yes, there are men that are set aside who, who serve within the church, but in all reality, I've said this for years. If in, in Acts chapter 6, if the body would have cared for itself, there would have been no office of deacon. The reason they had to set men aside is because why? There was grumbling. And the role of the deacon was to what? Unify the body again. So that what? So the apostles could be about the business of preaching and teaching the gospel. Here's the thing. We really don't even need deacons here if we do that, that thing. If we care for each other. Yeah, we've got, we got deacons here. But the reality is, is, is if we're doing the work, we're all serving, then it doesn't matter what title we've got to us. We, we just serve and love each other. And so do as God has called you this morning. I believe God is challenging us here. 
this year, I believe the last couple weeks, I believe the last few months, God has really challenged us with some things. And so may we respond to his word.
be seated. I want to share something with you. I'm going to share this because Katie's not here right now. It's not bad. It's just I don't. Um, this year I'm, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to take a notebook and I'm, I'm going to write all my sermons this year by hand in, in my notebook for a number of reasons. One, I, I, I tend to, to learn more when I'm handwriting versus typing. But two, um, I want Jet and Sadie to have something one day when I'm gone. And, and here's why I'm reading this, because you, you're, you're the body. You're, you're the body I'm with, right? This is, this is my, my church, right? My, not because I own it, but because I'm, I'm part of you, right? We're, we're together. And I want to share something with you just, just quickly. And, I want, and here's why I want you to be one. Because in the beginning of this, I wrote a note to Jet and Sadie that they will not read until I'm gone because they won't see this. But here's what I hope, because I mentioned the body. I pray that, that you are an example of what Christ has done through every one of these pages as they read it. That maybe, one of the things I say in here to them is maybe you're not a believer right now, but because of these people and these words, you will come to Christ. And as not being a pastor's kid, but being around a lot of pastor's kids, pastor kids get a bad rap, right? You know why? You know why I'm talking to some of them? Because they don't see a body that loves each other. And so they rebel. Not because of their dad. I'm just being honest because of the body. And my prayer is that my kids would not rebel, not because I'm a bad dad or whatever it may be, but because the body, that they will stay faithful. They will come to Christ because the body's there. Because they will desire to be here in the body, even when daddy is boring, which I get every week. Daddy, you are long and boring. Thanks, Jet. One of the things I said is daddy's always going to be long and boring because that's because it's God's word. Until God transforms you, Jet, it will always be long and boring. And I didn't say directly what I said to him and her. But I, what I did say is the body. I want them to be an example of what Christ has done through the word from this book. And these words are in this book because the word has transformed your daddy. So our ushers come forward and say, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, that, that's this week this word became real to me. Because I've got a seven-year-old. He's coming to the place where he's understanding the gospel more and more. And I want you to play a part in seeing him come to faith. Sadie will be there soon. And I want you to be, play a part in that. Because I believe this, the moment that Jet comes to faith, Daddy will no longer be long and boring. Daddy may be long, but Daddy will not be boring because the Word will be filling in his heart. Uh, Lord, will you pray for our offering?
is that we're taking up offering. Please pick up these prayer guides by the Mission Action Committee. Believe it or not, I just glanced down here. Um, <laughs> there is something on this that we can pray for. There are 8 million French Canadians. Only point zero or point five percent believe in Jesus. Right here, just nor our northern neighbors. We can pray for them. I went to Canada a couple years ago. Took Jeff and Lisa, and uh, I don't think about uh, yeah. Tom and Donna went with us, and there were a lot of unbelievers in Toronto, where they're not. And, and and we have a chance to interact with them. And so, movie night tonight at the other campus, five o'clock. Uh, it's a Jamaica fundraiser. Uh, hot dogs, um, chips, those kind of things. If you're interested in Krispy Kreme donuts, you can see me. They're, they're raising money for that. We get those at the end of February. Um, I believe that's everything going on right now that I can remember. And so um, let's uh, stand. And, hey, let's do something we've, we've not done uh, at least in a long time. Let's go across the aisles and join hands, if that's okay. I know that it's like, uh-oh, uh, or if you want to join elbows, whatever you want to do. Uh, um, and then... Um, Let's see here. Um, when Nikki left, I was going to ask him to pray, but um, Kyle, yeah, Heather volunteered somebody, so Heather prays. <laughs>